0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candice Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, what's your favorite icon? Um, maybe Mr. Clean. <laughs> oh, that's a good choice. Yeah? I'm partial to McGrath. Really? And I also like um, the Snuggle Bear, you Mm -hmm. know, from, is it Downy? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I think
1: so. Advertisers have a way of hooking us and drawing us to their products. And even if we don't go out and buy the products, we still have an allegiance to them because they have this cute or quirky
2: or tough character that we associate with it. That's true, and we were sort of convinced by the way they look, the visual representation of it, it is very convincing. And that's the
1: power of propaganda, mm-hmm. really, and propaganda, depending on how you look at it, can be a good or, or a bad thing. Essentially, when propaganda convinces a bunch of people to act in a way that benefits you know, a nation or an organization, it has a pretty positive effect. But when propaganda convinces people to act out negatively or to act in ways that don't benefit
2: mankind, Mm -hmm. that's when we say it's, you know, it's bad propaganda. That's right. And one of the most famous instances of, of, I guess, bad propaganda would be uh, during uh, the Nazi regime in Germany. Like, they had this whole machine, basically, that produced propaganda to sway people over to the Nazi side. And various forms of propaganda, not just posters, but Mm -hmm. film
1: and I think even music and even just, I guess, efforts, really, if you could call efforts propaganda, I think that they made radios readily available Mm -hmm. so that people could hear broadcasts from Hitler. Yeah, yeah. And as far as the Americans go during World War II, if you ask anyone what the most famous propaganda icon is from that era, I bet you dollars to donuts that most people will say,
2: Rosie the Riveter. Or Rosie the
1: Riveter. That's right. And ironically enough, yeah, the image of Rosie the Riveter was produced during World War II but it wasn't
2: popularized
1: until the 1980s and mm-hmm. i think that's where people really get the story of Rosie
2: wrong yeah that's right and the name rosie w- was known during the war and it was associated with women women uh, taking up uh the man's role in the workplace but it di- it didn't actually have the picture that we associate with it today which was the we can do it uh lady with the polka dotted sca- scarf on her head and the defiant look in her eyes um rosie was known more so um one by a song, a song was written about Rosie. and uh, that that was pretty popular, and I think it was forty two. And uh, then by forty three, um, the famous Norman Rockwell had uh, had drawn uh, his version of Rosie, and that was the picture that was actually very famous during the war in America.
1: Yeah, and as famous as Rockwell is and his images from the Saturday Evening Post, mm-hmm. when I saw this image of Rosie the Riveter, I'd never seen it before. And it kind of yeah. took me aback because yeah. I'm used to the iconic one with the yellow mm-hmm. background and the very jaunty headscarf and the eyeliner and, and sure. you know, very long eyelashes, very feminine Rosie. And we'll get to her in a second. Mm-hmm. But Rockwell's Rosie is really, really tough looking.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It's very different to look at the two next to each other um, Mm -hmm. because like the Rosie, Rockwell's Rosie uh, is sort of, she's relaxed sort of. She's taking a break from her work. She has this large, she has her tools on her. She has uh, goggles and everything and and she's just eating her lunch on her break and and she's just sort of like, yeah, whatever. And we know it's Rosie because Mm -hmm. on
1: her lunch pail it says Rosie in white letters. And Rockwell's Paintings are infused with so much symbolism. And if you really study this mm-hmm. painting closely, you can see all sorts of things that that Rockwell is trying to get across to us. For one, um, there's a flag in the background. Mm-hmm. She's wearing a red cross button. I think she's got a, a V for victory button. Mm-hmm. And she's eating this very all-American bologna sandwich. Yeah. And, and
2: my favorite part of the, the little clues inside is that she's standing on, or for her foot is over, um, the famous book Mein Kampf. Of course, the autobiography of Adolf Hitler.
1: So there you go. That packs a powerful statement in and of itself. And you mentioned that she has tools in her Mm lap, And we should mention one of the tools or the main tool really is a riveting tool. Mm -hmm. So she is, by all definitions and all purposes, a riveter. And so we have this amalgamation of Americana and anti-Nazi sentiment mm-hmm. and femininity because she is still a woman. And even yeah. though she has muscles and she is, you know, in sort of, I guess, traditional
2: male garb, she does exude a certain sense of femininity. Yeah, she still has makeup on and she she sort of embodies both, both sides, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that really
1: touched me, and I didn't see this connection on my own, I, I read about it. Mm-hmm. Was that her stance actually mimics that of the prophet Isaiah Mm -hmm. from the Sistine Chapel?
2: Yeah, I read that too, and that really shocked me. And I went and looked it up that that picture, and it really is strikingly similar. That Rockwell must have taken it from that. And you get that sense
1: that this image of Rosie is very much steeped in antiquity and Mm -hmm. in a higher purpose of sorts. And he's almost making her an archetype, not just for women, but just you know for for people. You know, this is. What we should be during Mm -hmm. wartime, we should be active and proactive citizens who are educated and and patriotic and, Mm -hmm. and doing what's right. And I guess the word do that brings us back to the other image of Rosie, the idea that Rosie... Was an empowering female figure who told everyone that we can do it. That's how I think many of us look at her today because I think that most of us would imagine this other polka-dotted Rosie, Mm -hmm. I'll call
2: her, as opposed to the Rockwell Rosie. Yeah, and like I said, it's much more defiant. It, like, challenges the viewer to look at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... The history most of us know behind this particular image is that it was propaganda, maybe on behalf of the U.S. government, maybe on behalf of the National Ad Council. And it was designed to draw women into the workplace and motivate them to go fill these wartime factory Mm -hmm. or other jobs like postal worker jobs that had been vacated after the men had gone the battlefront and, and that, that's not the case that's
2: right and it, it, it's it's an easy assumption to make comparing it especially to the nazis of the time like they were actually the government was producing this propaganda where that that wasn't the case for this this rosie
1: she was actually to demystify her a little bit drawn by j howard miller And he didn't draw her of his own volition. He was employed by an advertising agency, and he was doing this for Westinghouse Electric Company. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that this was a poster that was supposed to be displayed for a very specific amount of time. Um, I think even on the bottom of the poster, you can see in faint letters, it says post from Feb 15th through 28th, 1943. It's not much time. (laughs) No, it's not. But I guess it it served its purpose. And there's a long history behind Westinghouse Electric in manufacturing company and their factories, they had many, many series of posters like this designed to motivate and energize their workers. They weren't yeah. drawing people into the workplace. They were trying to motivate those who were already there. And furthermore, even if this Rosie was trying to communicate a public message, it wouldn't have been public beyond the walls of Westinghouse because right. it was intended for
2: private use only. So you can make the case that this isn't this isn't for recruitment at all. This, this we can do it, Rosie. This was... Um, uh, what I read was that, was that um, Rosie, uh, the polka dotted Rosie could actually be a way to um, discourage sort of labor, labor movements inside of these Westinghouse factories that they were sort of because communism was it was beginning to be a problem. And uh, so um, the company would, would commission these these posters not to say, hey, women, you should take up your man's work, but all, but instead be like, do your job. And I think there were actually three specific
1: goals that Westinghouse had in mind behind this polka dot at Rosie and other posters and series similar to that. And that okay. was to increase production, decrease absenteeism, and to keep strikes at bay. Mm-hmm. No one wanted that rising in the factories. And when we look at this Rosie, you know, like we sort of picked apart Rockwell's Rosie, the different symbols there. There aren't many symbols when it comes to polka dotted Rosie, the J. Howard Miller Rosie. But you can see she is a Westinghouse employee. She has the name tag Mm -hmm. on in the bottom corner. It says Westinghouse. And I think a lot of reproductions today, J. Howard Miller's name has been cropped out. But Hmm. clearly, this was produced on behalf of Westinghouse. Right. And she is very, very feminine. Even more so compared to the Rockwell Rosie. You can clearly see in her hand that she's wearing a touch of nail polish. You can see the eyeliner. You can mm-hmm. see her mascara. You can see the little curls of her hair underneath her head scarf. Yeah,
2: she's much more attractive than the Rockwell Rosie in a lot of ways. She is. And if you look at other
1: posters that J. Howard Miller designed, you can see that that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. She is actually the most rough and tumble of all the women featured on Miller's posters. We see, you know, a lot of the World War II sentiment where women are like, you know, crying and maybe a caption was, you know... um Wanting, won't bring him home any sooner. The stereotypical woman. The stereotypical woman who's Mm -hmm. wasting away at home, waiting for a man to come back. The idea being, go ahead and get into the factory. We know that's not the case with Miller's Rosie. But we know through and through, she is a Westinghouse girl. And it's so funny because if you look Mm -hmm. at some of the photographs of other Westinghouse employees or you read about Westinghouse's history, you know that that upward thrust of the fist is characteristic of that company because they used to use it at meetings or rallies to motivate the workers. So while today we put a very feminist spin on what Rosie is saying we can mm-hmm. do with that upward thrust of the fist, that would have been typical of men and women in Westinghouse factories during World War II.
2: And it's it's interesting also how this sort of flipped around how like in during World War II this Rockwell Rosie was the more popular one and how how this one came to be if it was only seen by you know so many people working in in those factories in those few months um, or those few weeks, uh, and it's interesting because it all comes down to the fact that Rockwell's painting is actually copyrighted. It's a copyrighted image, and so you know um, you have to pay money to use it, and or, or it's like a protected. But um, Miller's uh, drawing actually didn't have any such protection, and so people could use it for whatever they want, and it fit into the the um, feminist um, uh, theory so well that it became so popular and actually um, succeed. Like it uh, superseded Rockwell's painting, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that today the National Archives say it's one of the top ten most requested images. Wow! And I think that as far as phonists go, mm-hmm. and the idea of correcting the misconceptions we have behind Rosie, this is a perfect demonstration. Like we said, because Mm -hmm. she was representative of both the men and women in Westinghouse factories, that speaks volumes because other women who went to work not just as riveters, but in other fields of the manufacturing Mm -hmm. industry or even as postal workers, when the men came back from war, they were asked to leave their jobs. You know, this wasn't the huge... A floodgate opening of women yeah. shuffling into the workplace that we would like to think and hope that it was. Yeah, I think like you did your job and now, you know, go home. Yeah, we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. We're done here. And I think to an extent it did open a floodgate of sorts because yeah. women saw that they were capable mm-hmm. that, you know, they could do men's work. It wasn't as hard as they had imagined. They could yeah. still be feminine and still be women while they did it. But there was also a very early type of glass ceiling that we see, too, because even though they were doing the same work that men had done before the war, Mm -hmm. they weren't getting paid as much. And there weren't as many women coming into the workplace from homes and the private sector as there were women who were already in the workplace, or minority yeah, of women, I, unmarried yeah. women who were just getting mm-hmm. into these
2: manufacturing positions to get higher wages. That's what I was surprised at. You know, you we, we buy into this myth that um, all of a sudden mothers started started working at, at factories where like the fathers were in the family were. And, and that wasn't really the case. It was women who were not married housewives. They they were just looking for, you know, a job to to, to feed themselves. Right. And that's an
1: important detail to note. Yeah. If you look at Rockwell's Rosie and Miller's Rosie, neither is wearing a wedding ring of any Mm -hmm. sort.
2: And uh, one thing also, a a side thing about Rockwell's Rosie is that she's actually wearing loafers as opposed to what men of the time would be wearing which would steel-toed boots for a riveter. Like, you're doing this heavy work and you should have protected feet. And they actually didn't make These steel toed um, women's shoes at the time until a little bit later, like towards the end of the war. And um, so it was actually very accurate of Rockwell to incorporate those um, brown loafers into Rosie's. Yeah.
1: He got all the details right. Yeah. And it seems so ironic today that you can get this famous. Miller, we-can-do-it image on everything from Mm -hmm. oven mitts to (laughs) aprons to coffee cups. I mean, things Mm -hmm. we may associate with a housewife, you know, an apron and an oven mitt. True. But it's an image that people are very fond of, you know, almost as fond as I am of, you know, a little snuggle bear. (laughs) So um, now, hopefully, you know the real story of Rosie the Riveter, and you won't make the mistake that many, many people do about her. And if you want to learn even more about Rosie and World War II history and just women in general, be sure to visit HowStuffWorks.com. For
0: more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear
2: for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
0: You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And...